You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark, Towner, Caitlin, we are back. Mark, I know you're glued to the 150th Open Championship at the home of golf, St. Andrews. So if you can tear yourself away from the Open for a couple of minutes and have a political discussion, that would be awesome. I'm on my phone here. uh, I'll be multitasking. Uh, Who's going to win, Mark? Jim Davis. Jim Davis. Yeah, sure, isn't he? He's always playing, isn't he? Or Patrick, one or the other. Now that's Patrick. Yeah, yeah, I get them confused. Hey, that's business development. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Uh, All right. I want to focus us this morning on a couple of questions that I feel like I get every single time we talk to a client or a colleague or um, anyone for that matter. And the first question is, Who's going to be on the ballot in 2024? Um, even though we haven't gotten through the 2022 midterm elections yet, Towner, everybody seems to want to talk about 2024 and specifically in the first instance, whether Biden and Trump will be on the ballot. They don't care so much about secondarily if they're not who is yet, but are they going to be on the ballot? Mm-hmm. Is on everybody's mind, and what do you think, Tanner? I, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I mean, you have the news this week that Trump uh, has been having his secret fundraiser conversations down in Mar-a-Lago, and and could very well announce sometime over the next several weeks uh, prior to the actual 2022 midterm elections, he could actually announce for president. Terrible uh, idea. Terrible idea. Agreed. Which would throw everything into the in, into uh, chaos, certainly even more so on the Republican side of the, the docket. I think the the interesting thing on the Republican side to me is that you have a field of candidates right now, the Nikki Haley's, the Pompeo's, the, you know, even going into the Senate uh, that are all potentially uh, wanting to run. But they all want to see what Donald Trump's going to do, with the exception of Ron DeSantis. DeSantis, who, you know, is governor of Florida because of Donald Trump, solely because of Donald Trump, has decided that he is not going to separate policies. He's just going to separate personalities. So he's going to remove himself from the Donald Trump cult of personality and try to create, quite frankly, his own cult of personality uh, around essentially the same set of issue areas that Donald Trump cares about. Uh, So that's that's what's fascinating me on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let others opine, but essentially it seems like, you know, folks are like, is is Joe Biden going to die in office? Uh, and if so, like, I'm ready to run. So, Mark, what do you do? The Democrats, can I ask Towner and Caitlin a Republican question? Yeah. Is Mike Pence just irrelevant to this conversation? It seems he's looking to run. It seems he's looking to run with or without Trump in the race. Is he not a a serious 
candidate for uh, the Republican nomination? Yeah, I mean, my personal opinion is he's not. Uh, I don't think he was to begin with, quite frankly. He's very lucky he got selected as vice president to begin with. He was about to get he was unemployed. unemployed. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was about to get unemployed in Indiana, one of the reddest states. Uh, as a Republican governor incumbent, he was probably going to lose reelection in Indiana um, before he was selected as vice president. So the the tricky thing with Mike Pence is you're going to have to have some coalition on the Republican side that is going to have to include some crazy Trumpers. It has to, because there's still more than enough of them in the Republican Party that they have to support Mike Pence. And to what extent does Mike Pence's bravery on January 6th hurt his chances of getting that overall nomination? So even if you know, more Republicans walk away from Donald Trump, essentially, will they still be willing to endorse Mike Pence, who they have, you know, fed into this rhetoric that he failed to defend um, uh, or defended the fraudulent election, quote unquote. And I, I want to get in later to January 6th and the hearings and the impact those are having, because I think you can look at those multiple ways. But Mark, what's the likelihood that Joe Biden is on the ballot in 24. I think neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden will be the nominees in 2024. But how we get from here to there is really unclear. A couple of observations about that. Uh, number one, in August, no, July, excuse me, I don't mean to advance the calendar. In July of, of 2006, nobody thought Barack Obama was going to be the 44th president of the United States. So we are a long way from knowing the answer to the question, which I agree is all anybody wants to talk about. Number two, I, I fear that if Trump runs, Biden runs, if Biden runs, Trump one runs, yeah. if the two of them would just stand down. I don't think either of them yeah. want to do it, but my fear is that they back each other into a corner and they both do it. If they both do it, I don't know what happens on the Republican side. I don't know what happens Parker, on the Democratic side, are you but people will run against Joe Biden. Are you saying you don't want Biden to lead the ticket in 24? I'm saying I think it would be better for the country and the party if there were a new generation of leadership on both sides of, of the aisle. Mark, I'm with you. We all want to live in a post-Trump and post-Biden world. So yeah. Now, Howard, Felicia and Sue Ellen can find out tomorrow when they have brunch with the First Lady. Uh, but I, you're talking about our two least avid listeners to this podcast. <laughs> right. That's why I know it's penalty free to mock them because they'll never hear this. Right. You're brunching with the first lady. But but the other thing there is brunch uh, on Nantucket Town. Or if you can Excellent. if you can get up here by 11 a.m. Is uh, that is that the only meal on Nantucket? And then there's a cocktail hour that lasts the rest of the day. <laughs> I think the cocktail hour starts before brunch. Right? There you go. <laughs> but, but the other thing I was going to say is uh, on the Democratic side, Howard, let's let's posit that neither Biden nor Trump 
will be on the ticket. How we get there, I don't know. But on the Democratic side, and, and it's sort of our version of the Pence question, only it's much more relevant. If Biden doesn't run, we do have a sitting vice president from the Democratic Party. And it, it for a lot of reasons, it, it, a woman, a woman of color, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how people justify jumping over her and jumping into the race. But but people are going to run against against. No chance. No chance. Yeah, but that's the fascinating thing, isn't it? I mean, the same thing as the Pence question. I mean, you know, if you ask most politicos right now, they'll tell you Mike Pence has no chance of being the Republican nominee. And they'd say Kamala Harris has no chance of being the Democratic nominee. And, you know, I got to I got to ask a question real quick of Mark, because, I mean, Gavin Newsom was in D.C. this week while Joe Biden was in Israel. I thought there was going to be a coup. I didn't know what was happening. I mean, he went to the White House. While the president's not there and gave a press conference out in front of the White House, I, I couldn't figure it out. He didn't have Oath Keepers or Proud Boys. No, no, this was a bloodless. This was, thankfully. But, no, look, Gavin Newsom is already running for president. He's down in Caitlin's favorite state of Florida telling people they should move to California. Why is a little unclear. But. They're all getting a big laugh about that, Mark, down in yeah, Florida. It, it, Put it, your it, money elsewhere, Gavin. It's amusing, but there there will be candidates running against the president in the primary if he is a candidate. And for sure, if he isn't, Kamala will be, and there'll be plenty of competition for for her. It it just no one's there yet. The interesting thing is if he's a candidate and people are running against him, but she's the vice president, she cannot run against him. So she's already made that pledge that she yeah. wouldn't as well. Okay. Caitlin, uh, jump in. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts is Trump really needs to stay out. He really, if he is going to get in, he better not announce between now and November because that really will impact and distract and hurt the Republican Party's chances in the midterms. And, you know, typical selfish, narcissistic Donald Trump, everything has to be about him, um, not about the party and the policies that he claims to stand for. Uh, but it's going to be a crowded field on the right. We've got Ron DeSantis, obviously, who has said he's going to run, you know, regardless of, of or he's he's not going to let Trump being in be the reason he doesn't run. I think he's certainly gearing up for a run, has a strong base of support, which does cut into some of the Trump folks. I think it's really interesting. You're starting to see even some hardcore MAGA folks say, enough already. We've got to turn the page. You know, Donald Trump is really, I know we're going to talk about the January 6th hearings in a minute, but week after week after week, he's continuing to be damaged. Um, and I think it's really important that there's a, a new face. So Ron DeSantis, we've got the Scots, Senator uh, Senator Rick Scott, former governor of Florida, Senator Tim Scott, Senator from um, South Carolina. Great, great candidate. Towner and I are both giving thumbs up. We, we love Senator Tim Scott. Um, Nikki Haley, I think. Is, is going to be, you know, formidable and in there, though she said she won't run if Trump does run. Um, Mike Pompeo, you already hit on. I think he's going to run. Mike Pence will run. Don't think he's got much of a shot, though I do think that he does come out pretty good and and, and all after all of these January 6th commission hearings. Um, and Liz Cheney, I think we're going to see Liz Cheney run, gear up for 
um, maybe a more independent bid. I think there's a lot of folks that would that want to see where her future lies, um, and I'm I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing that as well. It's going to be a crowded field. I, I thought you were going to say she'd be in the lead for the Democratic bid. I think more independent. Just kidding. So, just kidding. Is she running as a uh, member of Congress or uh, as a private citizen? What happens in a month in her primary? Look, I would not rule her out. There's been she's raised so much money. Yes, even from Democrats. Um, I would not. I think there's going to be a lot of cross ticket voting in Wyoming. I believe you are able in the primary to switch your voter registration up until the day of. I think there's going to be a lot of independents and Democrats that really respect what she's done. It's it's a it's just one congressional seat for the whole state of Wyoming. Um, I am praying and hoping, and we've helped and we've held dinners and we love her, and um, we're hoping she gets over the finish line. I wouldn't rule her out. It's going to be tough. That's that's for sure. But my view is done. that the most likely scenario is that both Trump and Biden want run. The second most likely scenario is that neither of them run. It's either it's either all or nothing. And I agree. But um, decisions are going to be made so soon. Yeah. Biden, you know, with Gavin Newsom very clearly running for president now, Biden owes it to Kamala Harris to make a decision shortly after the midterm elections. And if he decides he's not running, that creates a situation where you may have Republicans take Congress and then you have the Democratic president be a lame duck president essentially for two years because he's already announced he's not running, which creates a, a, uh, a difficulty for the Democrats, quite frankly, if they're completely fractured at that point because they have so many people running for president to replace the only, Yeah, the only reason I, the only for him not to run is age. The only reason for him not to run is age, in my opinion. Biden. Um, I got 16 more reasons why Trump shouldn't run, but that's but look, the the country's going through um continues to go through tough times. Um the economy is very, very funky and unusual, but I think it's age and, and fitness for office more than it's policy or even politics. And he was 10 years younger. I mean, he'd be running again, no question. If he and was I, 10 years younger, he would also be 10 points more popular. So I think it's, I they're both. I don't know about that, Mark. That's an interesting well, question because I agree with Mark, and I think Howard and Caitlin do not agree with Mark on that. But I totally agree that he yeah. would be more popular if he was a little bit younger. I'm just saying it's all about age. I mean, a good reason not to run is that only 33% of the people think you should have the job right now. But I think that is age-driven as much as policy or politics or or anything else. I, I remain a fan of Joe Biden, the human being. I remain a, a believer in what he's trying to do. He has lost the confidence of the country. And I just hope, as I said a minute ago, that I agree with you, Howard. Biden and Trump are going to back each other into a corner and they're either both doing it or neither is. And it, it, it would be better for the, the world if, if neither did. So let's pivot to the January 6th hearings. 
they're uh, going strong and some pretty incredible testimony. I mean, to me, Liz Cheney's an American hero. Her willingness to stand up and um, take the other side and um, from the, from the Republicans, I, I think is the ultimate act of patriotism. I don't, I'm, I can be pretty darn cynical about politicians and kowtowing and all that, but it just, I think she's doing it because it's the right thing to do and it's necessary. And that's my view. Um, but, but Towner, it, is it having, obviously people that, um, are watching the hearings nonstop are, you know, they, they tend to be Democrats, but is it having an impact on the Republican side? I, I mean, guess is my question. Yeah. I think, first of all, I think they're doing a great job with hearings. I think they're very compelling. They're the most put together, uh, produced hearings, uh, from Congress that I've ever seen. I mean, well, they, they did hire an ABC news producer Towner, and help them out. So well, but they are, I'm, they are well produced. I'm glad they did because, you know, the, the segues to video and the like, the, the production is, is flawless. It is really quite good. And you realize how awful most congressional hearings are every time you watch one of these January 6th hearings that's actually produced properly and, and, uh, and done well and scripted quite frankly, as well with teleprompters, which was another thing, you know, they're not reading from notes and, and ad-libbing their words through these things. But putting the production aside, it's true. A lot of Republicans aren't watching, but there are good solid two to four, you know, huge revelations that have been coming out of each consecutive hearing that have let off the news. Uh, they have been in the front page of every paper. So it doesn't matter if you're watching or not. You can't avoid the bombshells that have been coming out of these hearings. Um, and as a result, I think, you know, we have seen noticeable, as Caitlin mentioned earlier, we have seen a noticeable decrease in Republican support for Donald Trump since this series of hearings began. It was a prior to that, it was a very, you know, slow bleed of supporters away from Donald Trump. Uh, they have really picked up over the last six weeks that folks have been leaving Donald Trump. And and I think this is also going back to our last time. This is why I feel some urgency that he might need to do something. He may need to announce because he could be irrelevant in three or four months if he lets this this slippery slope continue. Um, so I do think they're effective from that standpoint. We haven't seen, you know, the indictment yet or anything along those lines, but it's coming. Uh, and and so, you know, I think over the next couple months, we're, we're going to see some further decline of Trump support. What indictment? Um, they're going to they're going to get him for something. But you think Trump? I think they're going to try. Yeah, that's the other question. I mean, but that what what I've said to people about that, Caitlin, is that you've got two things going on here um, in parallel. One is the hearings. The other is the, the Department of Justice prosecution effort. And that's, there are many people who are frustrated that they're not going for the top guy yet, but they're building the prosecution very much the way prosecutions are built, which is from the outside in. They start with the small people and build up to the bigger people. And that's 
that's white collar prosecution 101. That's the way these things go. That's what the Justice Department is doing. They've got armies of prosecutors looking at this. They are 100. I don't know whether they're going to indict Trump, but they are 100 percent going to indict some of the folks around them who were around them. Um, I have some uh, thoughts on this topic, though, Howard. Yeah, I, I go ahead, Tom. I, so as a as a non-lawyer and not one who has ever led a prosecution or anything along those lines, I will tell you that this the DOJ effort here is one of the most miserable I have seen. And that is coming from January 6th committee members on the Democratic side of the aisle uh, to their own DOJ. I mean, you have Zoe Lofgren, who is essentially saying the DOJ is out to lunch on on this. The, the committee has interviewed so many more people than the DOJ ever has done. I mean, Cassidy Hutchinson, DOJ didn't even know she existed, uh, for example. And they still haven't reached out to her for an interview. Uh, the DOJ has, has literally done nothing. They have gone after uh, a couple of folks who, where there's been uh, referrals from the January 6th committee for skipping out on subpoenas. But other than that, they, the, even the committee members are saying right now, they are seeing no investigatory action from the DOJ as it relates to January 6th. Well, Except for individuals yes, who are there. Yes, and yes. I, I, I wish the DOJ were doing top down instead of bottom up, but Damn. that's for political reasons. And you can't for political reasons. Well, I know it's almost yeah. better to let the commission win over the hearts and minds yeah. of the public. But first I just want to say in, everyone with an indictment. In defense of the rank and file Justice Department uh, members, they have launched the largest investigation in the department's history. They brought over 700 prosecutions about January 6th, the day itself, where they seem to to be not yet uh, ready for prime time, speaking of the committee's presentation, is on the broader conspiracy to overturn the election, which is what was happening at the top of the pyramid. So I, I thought when these hearings began that there was no chance Merrick Garland was indicting a former president. I'm not sure anymore, because as you're saying, Towner, as Caitlin's saying, uh, pe people are paying attention, not the electorate, but certainly the department is paying attention. And a lot of uh, a lot of their work has been done for them by by the committee. So to to be determined, my question, Howard, though, is is whether the ultimate act of indicting Donald Trump for his, his conduct post-election matters. We, we live in a world where so far, right through today, July 15th, 2022, he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't matter to his supporters. So I'm encouraged to hear what Caitlin and Towner are saying about the impact that these hearings are are having, I'm hopeful that that is true. But it, an unindicted versus an indicted Donald Trump is 
is is that is there some magic to getting to that indictment in political political terms obviously an indictment has consequences because it's followed by a prosecution I think we're more likely to see an indictment in Georgia before we see an indictment for January 6th, for one thing. Um, But I'll tell you, I don't lack faith in what DOJ is doing. I have never been a prosecutor, but I've been an attorney in government and been on the inside of a lot of government investigations. And by definition, you don't talk. You um, don't play politics. You go where the facts take you. You're methodical. You're thoughtful. You, uh, you, and frankly, they can be slow. And that's that's what a good prosecution is all about. That's what a good investigation is all about. Of course, the January sixth committee is gonna say that the DOJ isn't moving fast enough, blah, 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 blah. But it's, this is the way good prosecutions are are made. And, and we'll see what history says about all this, but I have more faith in, in DOJ um, than you do, Tanner. I, I think you gotta be careful and you've gotta be methodical and you've gotta frankly go a little bit slowly. This, I mean, look, this was a war. And on January 6th. And in a war, you don't necessarily start by prosecuting foot soldiers, which is what they're doing. They're, those 700 cases, while it may be historic, is relatively pointless in the grand scheme of things right now because they are not even looking. If you believe True. the Democratic members of the January 6th committee who have been very upset and public about this, the DOJ is not even looking at the generals who gave the orders on that day. I, I think they are, but they're getting there in their own way. And that's what, that's what I'm saying. That that's, I think what a good prosecution is all about time. Time will tell, but well, people are, they're going down. The committee and the department have different agendas, Uh, maybe not on paper. Obviously they do. Yeah. That's what I'm saying that the, purpose of the January 6th hearings is to disqualify Donald Trump as a future president. That is what they are trying to do. I think, I hope they are doing a pretty darn good job of it. But the whole thing has been set up top down. The first hearing listed the, was it seven things that Trump did to overturn the election? Whatever else we think of DOJ, maybe not under Bill Barr, but certainly under Merrick Garland, whatever else you think of their performance, that is not their agenda. Their agenda is to disqualify Donald Trump. I'm going to Bill Barr's book signing in two weeks, Mark. Bill Barr was a good guy. Come on, hold on. Bill Bill Barr resigned. I mean, love Love everything about Bill Barr. There are. Lots of people that were patriotic in the face of a, an attempted coup. And and some of them people, about a year and a half to come out and actually speak publicly. But so Winston Churchill famously said of us, of uh, the Americans, the Americans always do the right thing after trying everything else. So that's where I put Bill Barr. <laughs> okay. 
it's it's democracy. It's messy. Um, look, I think it's I think these hearings are actually not about disqualifying Donald Trump. I think they're about making sure this never happens again. And I've said, Mark, that um, to me, it's like how we were. Um, raised to talk about the Holocaust, and I'm not comparing six million people dying to what happened on January 6th. But in the sense that if you talk, if you talk about it and you keep it in your consciousness, you decrease the likelihood that it never happens again. And I think it's very much the same here. I think this is about elevating what happened in our consciousness and exposing it for what it was in an effort to make sure. It doesn't happen again and protect the future of the republic. I maybe that's hokey patriotic rah rah, but I think that's fundamentally. I think that's hokey patriotic drama <laughs> that is grounded in reality. I think every member of that committee wants wants to believe what you just said. But my view is that that committee believes that the best way to accomplish it never happening again is to disqualify Donald Trump, because for sure, the greatest threat of seeing something like this a second time is to reelect the guy president. Fair enough. So let's switch, Caitlin, to uh, the latest effort by the Democrats to get a quote unquote reconciliation bill, which is a democratic only bill again, across the finish line for the umpteenth time, Joe Manchin, like I told everybody was going to happen, killed it yesterday and said, no mas, at least with respect to the provisions of the bill that were, um, of, of, you know, other than the healthcare provisions. Why do the Democrats, Caitlin, keep subjecting themselves to the same thing? Like, haven't they figured out yet it's a 50-50 Senate and Joe Manchin's in charge? I, like, I don't understand, I don't understand it. I think they feel like they need, it's funny you're asking me this question, Howard, but I think they, look, they've got the reconciliation structure. I think they, they feel like they need to use this vehicle. They have one more shot at using this vehicle to get something done. I think the frustration has been that something is whatever the hell Joe Manchin decides he wants. And this week, he sort of changed his mind a couple of times. But, but look, like you said, it's a 50-50 Senate. And I don't know, let's do chips on that reconciliation. I don't, I, Professor French, I don't think we could do that. But there's so many things that they should be focused <laughs> on right now. Um, I just am not sure that this, I get why they want to use the tool because procedurally they have one more shot to do this and pass something with just 50 votes. Mark, why can't you, I was trying to give Caitlin a, a softball to hammer your side of the aisle. Um, but why, what, what in the world, like what's wrong with Chuck Schumer? Why? Well, he has COVID this week. He, right. He has COVID. He's, right. <laughs> so. So does everybody else, by the way. That's a yeah. whole different discussion. But why? Why? That is a whole, may I just drop a footnote? What, what a, as a political matter, again, what a remarkable fact that COVID is more widespread than ever since the beginning of this pandemic. 
It used to be all we talked about. Nobody, nobody talks about it politically again and anymore. So nobody talks about it. Everyone's fine. Yeah, yeah. But look, the it, it's unfortunate that President Manchin has ruled at least the ruling du jour. Yesterday was. A, a drug prescription and Affordable Care Act subsidy package. I don't know what happened to my salt deduction. In, it was never in on Manchin. the table, Mark. Good luck. No, it was in there. Did he rule that out too? I'm still he, looking for he my said salt. No salt. Okay, I was past the salt. Only they don't worry about that in West Virginia. Democrats don't cut taxes for rich people. Yeah, right? Mark. Joe yeah. Manchin is Joe Manchin is like Sue Ellen. No salt. No salt, right? <laughs> right? Well, it's two things. It's leadership and how we didn't learn. It's insanity. It's the definition of insanity. We keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But it's also the, the, the storytelling, Howard. We still, this administration uh, and this party, for that matter, we just haven't found the story. We've lost the thread. We we just don't have the narrative. What it is, I, I don't I defy the president or the majority leader or any of us to even even explain what we're trying to do anymore. It's it, we are so deep in the trees that we've completely lost the forest here. What is it we're even trying to accomplish with this? Frankly, it shouldn't be that hard. Like you, you blame the Trump administration for putting too much money out the door in the early days of COVID. That caused inflation to rear its head. Biden does X, Y, and Z to try to bring it back under control. Like, like it or not, he inherited a mess with COVID, with inflation. Obviously, the two are linked. I mean, you're right. They need a better playbook. And to keep distracting themselves with party line legislation, relying on a guy that comes from a state that's Trump plus 30 or plus 39 or whatever it is, is, is insanity. And you figure out how to codify Roe versus Wade using reconciliation. I've got an idea. Is that possible? That isn't going to happen. That's another question we're getting, Caitlin. It isn't going to happen because they can't get that done either. Well, that's also not uh, allowed. It's not allowed. (laughs) Thank you, Professor French. Come on, we can find a way to tie it to the budget. You can't do it as a parliamentary matter, number one. Number two, you don't even have the votes in the Democratic Party. To do no, it. but you could. And number three, this Supreme Court would strike it down. Well, also, if you're the Democrats, you'd rather run in the fall against Dobbs than not. And so you're not going to do that. And no, they couldn't do it through reconciliation, Towner, because it doesn't have a budgetary impact, but they could break the filibuster and yeah. do it that way. And maybe in another world they might, but they can't because Joe Biden, I mean, um, Joe Manchin won't break the filibuster because he's in charge. Well, and, you know, they they also put up a bill that would go farther than Roe when the Senate voted. I mean, it's not like they 
you know, Collins and Murkowski on the Republican side were begging for Manchin or Manchin for uh, for uh, Schumer uh, to put up uh, essentially a codification, a straight codification of Roe. Um, and he wouldn't do it. They went with the the the, the larger package uh, on abortion. As as our friend Patrick Martin absent today, somewhere he's somewhere. He's somewhere. I don't know. In Scotland? Isn't he on the leaderboard? He could be. Um, but as Patrick said, always says, the Democrats always overplay their hand. Yeah. And I think that's happening here, too. Well, there's actually a, a bill. I know we're a little bit in the uh, abortion weeds here, but the Klobuchar bill to allow interstate travel for abortion is is to me the right playbook. It's that is extremely important and popular. It too will not pass this Senate. But rather than running on codification, which isn't happening, let alone a broader bill, as you say, Towner, I I think our message should be the Republicans in the Senate won't even let a woman travel across state lines, which is what the Constitution's actually about. That right is in the Constitution. Absolutely. I think you would see a lot of Republican senators vote for that, Mark. I think there's a concern, like Howard said, about putting a bill on the floor that actually could get some moderate Republican support, which then undermines what they're all going to run on in November. That's exactly the case. Not only will Republicans not vote in favor of those issues, in July before November midterm election, uh, but they the Democrats also won't put those incremental sensible steps on the floor in July before a November midterm election. All about the next election, which is a terrible, very bad all way to all govern. About, I thought it was all about 2024. Wait, can I, can I say something real quick on that point? Because this has been raised, I think, a lot in client meetings, um, and fly-ins and, and things like that over the course, especially the last couple of weeks. July is the last time before the midterm elections to, to get anything done. And we have clients in town. I mean, I have three fly-ins a week uh, through the through the month of July, it seems, uh, with everybody scrambling at, the, at what they think is the last minute. Uh, we had 1,200 amendments proposed to the defense uh, authorization bill in the House this week. We're going to have a massive two packages on the appropriations government spending side where we have numerous client interests uh, involved in that. We on this podcast sometimes talk about the top three or four or five things that are in the news that are locked, that everybody, you know, sure, abortion legislation is not getting across the finish line uh, over the course of the next several months, but there are a lot of other things getting across the finish line in Congress. The, the three or four or five things clear out the noise for everything else and regular legislating is still happening in Congress and client issues are being addressed on a daily basis. So even we get sucked into that as opposed to talking about the things that actually are happening correctly and moving and working. And similarly, as I always say, you know, in the executive branch, a ton is happening. Things Washington continues to function below the level of the headlines at which it appears nothing is happening. But it's a good point, Towner, and, and a good note to end on that there actually is a lot of work to do and and things do do happen and don't buy the head fake, as I always say. So, well, 
a good discussion as as always we'll continue to try to tackle the questions we're getting from our friends and clients and towner caitlin mark a good discussion and we will be back next week thanks everybody you've been listening to the beltway briefing a podcast from cozen o'connor public strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.